All right, so we have found ourselves at the very last episode of the God and Man series, and it's been quite an epic trip, hasn't it? I mean, all the way back from creation, where God created this special home, this world where we could live with Him, no problems, no pain, no nothing, just everything was hunky-dory, hanging out with the big guy himself. It was a really great place. But then, of course, as we've talked about, we rebelled against him. We chose our own way instead of trusting God's way. And so we were separated from him. And that started this epic story of humanity where, where God created all of these systems of trying to get us back in relationship with him from this Old Testament Israel nation that he was uh, living within uh, to draw people closer to him and then coming into this earth himself um, as a baby boy and then growing up into the man Jesus that we read about in the Bible, healing people, reconciling the world to God. And then um, we talked about how he created this new Israel, the church that was going out into the world, sharing the message. We talked last week about how that story goes all the way through history and includes us today. But I want to kind of rewind the tape a little bit and go back to that early church as we head into our final episode, episode 7, Omega. So the early church, they had started off with such just power and, and energy and excitement. This Jesus had shown them so many amazing things and he had done miracles and everyone was revved up, pumped up. And so the disciples went out and they told people about it and these churches started growing all over the known world, miracles were happening, there was great teaching, there was great love that was being shared with the community. Things were going very cool, it was very heady days. They were fantastic days. But not everything was going well and not everybody was enjoying the journey. There were some influences that started to cloud over the early church. The first was the traditional Jewish uh, synagogues and leaders. Many Jews recognized that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That's what the disciples were telling them. They accepted that. That was great. But a lot of, especially the leaders who felt threatened by this new authority, this new king, didn't accept this new teaching. And they wanted to exterminate the church. And so they sent people like Saul, who turned into Paul, who actually ended up being a great ally of the church, but started off trying to get rid of the church. So there was persecution from Jewish leaders and authorities and people who were cemented in their old way of thinking. But that wasn't the only group of people who were against the church. Some of the pagan Roman um, authorities and groups of people, they didn't like the church either because they were coming into their cities and they were teaching people that there is only one God, a God who does not have any idols, a God who is not worshipped in temples, but a God who is worshipped through spirit-filled worship and love and all of that sort of thing. And so their huge industry around pagan worship was starting to crumble. People were turning away. And not only that, but the Roman emperor was considered to be a god in this time, and they stopped worshipping their king. And they started worshipping this other king that was coming in, this King Jesus. And so this really ticked people off. And so from both camps, there was this persecution that started attacking the church. 
in various different forms. And it ranged from people being ostracized from their communities. So the Jewish synagogues, which were the center of not only faith, but of community and of family and of, of just life, they would kick out the Christians. If you're not going to believe in the Old Testament only, you can't be part of the community. And so they were ostracized from the community. In Roman cities where Jewish uh, faith wasn't as strong, same thing was happening though, you see, because they would go into the marketplace, which was their center of the society, and they would be kicked out of these markets because they weren't worshiping the emperor. They weren't accepting the gifts that were sacrificed to the gods, the pagan gods, and, and eating those sacrifices, that meat sacrifice, as part of worship of those pagan deities. They weren't doing that anymore because they only believed in the one God. So they said, you know what? You can't be part of our society. And so the Christians were finding themselves pushed to the edges of the community. But that was fine with them because they had a new community. They had the church. They had this risen Savior, Jesus, and this new kingdom of God that was coming. So they were fine with that. But then the persecution started getting stronger. People were starting to become imprisoned. They were starting to be beaten. They were even killed in various different places. And so this persecution became stronger and stronger. And not only that, but they started to question some of the things that Jesus said, like, I'm coming back. Jesus promised that he was going to return. And you've got to understand, from their perspective, they weren't thinking he'll come back in 2,000, 3,000 years. They were thinking he was going to come back maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe in a couple of years' time. But he's coming back soon, which is what drove them out into doing the mission of God quickly because they didn't think they had very much time. But the years started piling on. The decades started piling on. The pressure started coming in from all of these different places and people started to lose hope. People started to lose faith just a little bit. It got really, really hard. People started to question, is Jesus coming back at all? Is this persecution, can I handle it? Can I sit, stand under the pressure? So a lot of the New Testament letters were written to these people. First and Second Peter, for example, was written to people who were feeling this pressure. First and Second Thessalonians, for example, was written to address this idea of Jesus coming back. And he was reaffirming these things to them. But it was a hard time. And one of the things that we find um, is that some of those influences from the traditional Jewish groups and from the pagan groups were starting to infiltrate the church. And they were starting to draw people away. Maybe they were standing up against persecution, but it was the subtle things that were starting to creep in. And they were starting to act more like the pagan world, or they were starting to act more like the traditional rules, laws-based Jewish faith that they had come from. And so amongst all of this situation, this book arrives on the scene and it's written um, by a man named John. We think it's possibly the John who was the disciple of Jesus, but we don't know for sure. But he comes in and he reveals that Jesus, that Jesus has shown him a series of visions or revelations of things to come. And this book changes everything for these people. Now I want to pause there for a second. Because as I described the situation that the early Christians were in, I wonder if you started to maybe resonate a little bit with some of the things that they were going through. 
For example, maybe you've been a Christian for a little while. Maybe you started out with great excitement and great energy and passion about what was going to happen, about what, who God was and about how He has changed your life and you're excited about it. But time has worn on a little bit and, and the, the difficulty of day-to-day -day existence has started to kind of be a burden to you and started to weigh you down. Maybe you're starting to lose a little bit of that faith, a little bit of that hope. Maybe you came out of a very strict rules-based Christian upbringing. I know some of you have. Maybe you've realized that Jesus is about mercy and grace and that's exciting, but we're starting to slip back into that rules-based, works-based, am I good enough for God-based idea of faith, that we're trying to work our way back to God. Maybe you've come out of a different uh, worldview that has, Jesus has completely changed the way you've seen life and the way that you act and the way that you live your life, but now maybe sometimes some of those worldly things are starting to creep back into your life. Different habits, different mindsets, different thought patterns are starting to creep back in and so our faith has become a little bit tainted by the influences around us. I know mine often feels that way. I, in fact, I oscillate between <laughs> the two of having that rules-based faith and also having those temptations infiltrate into my life. And I'm constantly having to try and sort that out. So I get that. And then there's this general fatigue that comes from this question of how long are we going to have to wait for Jesus to come back? I mean, it's been two millennia. How long are we going to have to wait for this? How long are we going to have to stand up against a society that disagrees with us so much and may eventually keep disagreeing with us harder and harder and become oppressive? And we already know how difficult it is to stand up for what we believe in in a society like this. So how long is God going to let this happen? Is Jesus ever coming back? So I say all of that because this book speaks to us just as much as it spoke to the early Christians. And I want to dive in. It is the book of Revelation. Now, some of you immediately go, Revelation! Because it isn't a little bit of an intimidating book. It's a book that is very misunderstood. It's a, it's a strange book. It's got all sorts of funky language and fantastical imagery. I mean, it's... It's really kind of an interesting but difficult to understand book. And a lot of people just completely sidestep it altogether because it's just too hard. It's only for those, you know, nerdy theological guys who really get into the Bible study stuff. It's only for them. Me, I'm just going to stick with the easier stuff. And I understand that. I do. I get that. But there is a message in this book that we must not miss. And we must not avoid this. Because this is the book that describes the end of the story. The story that we've started, the story of God and man. We've talked about how it started from the beginning and it's been continuing on, but it's open-ended at the moment. And we need to understand, especially as we walk through a difficult part of our life, that there is an end. It finishes. I love the verse that we saw at the beginning of the message there. I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus said. This is the first thing he says when he turns up in this book. He says, I am the Alpha, the beginning 
and the omega, the end. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, who is still to come, the Almighty One. You see, he steps in and right at the beginning of this book, he lays it out clear. He says, I am the Lord. I am in charge. I am in control. I am the God who was there when everything was first created. I was there when we rebelled against him. I was there when God promised Abraham that everything would be made right again. I was there throughout the entire nation of Israel as they worked closer and further away from God. And of course, I was there when I turned up and lived my life on earth, died on the cross, raised to heaven. And I am there with the church as they struggle and toil. And guess what? I will be there at the end. And there is an end. So look, we can get caught up in all of the imagery and the difficult stuff. And if that's something you want to look into, I'm happy to, to go through that maybe in a Bible study type scenario sometime. But beyond and underneath and through all of that imagery language is a simple message that we must get. And the message is this. Life is hard. Life is going to continue to be hard. People will oppress us. People will attack us. People will be against us. Life will not be easy. But God will conquer everything. God wins. And as I mentioned to everybody who's gone through Revelation with me before, there's a simple phrase that we need to understand. If we are good with God, then we're good. If we're good with God, then we're good. No matter how things play out, no matter what all of that stuff means, God is coming back. And when he does, we will be victorious. Sounds a little fantastical right now. I get that. But look, as we start moving into the new world after COVID-19 and we're trying to figure out what life looks like, what our world looks like, we need to understand we are not walking this alone. We are not walking the sands, Jesus, because he is here. He is with it and he is above it. He is in control of it and he will end it when he says that it's the right time and we will be victors if we can just hold on to hope. If we just hold on to that faith, just keep persevering. Be together as a community, work together as a community. That's what Church Northwest exists for, to share with those who don't have that hope and to look forward with this excitement and energy that one day he's coming back and everything's going to be great. I want to, I want to just read one of the last bits of the book of Revelation, one of the last bits of the entire Bible. It's chapter 22. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the river, water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is in heaven. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. This beautiful picture of a garden, just like the, the Garden of Eden that we were placed in, that home we were given. We're giving a new home. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. 
and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, everything you've heard and seen is trustworthy and true. Trustworthy and true. It's happening. We have hope. Let's not give up on that hope. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you that you have a home for us. You have a new world order that you are going to bring about. And we don't know what that looks like. And and it seems sometimes a little silly the way we describe it because we just can't grasp hold of what that looks like. But one thing we know, Lord, is that you are in charge. And if we're good with you, then we are good. So help us to stay strong in you. Help us to hold on to hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen.